This audio is presented by Hacker Noon, where anyone can learn anything about any technology. Efficiency and Capacity of Boilers by Babcock and Wilcox Company. Steam, its generation and use by Babcock and Wilcox Company, is part of the Hacker Noon book series. You can jump to any chapter in this book here. Efficiency and C-A-P-A-C-I-T-Y-O-F-B-O-I-L-E-R-S-E-F-F-I-C-I-E-N-C-Y and Capacity of Boilers. Two of the most important operating factors entering into the consideration of what constitutes a satisfactory boiler are its efficiency and capacity. Their relation of these factors to one another will be considered later under the selection of boilers with reference to the work they are to accomplish. The present chapter deals with the efficiency and capacity only with a view tomacking clear exactly what is meant by these terms as applied to steam generating apparatus, together with the methods of determining these factors by tests. Efficiency. The term, efficiency, specifically applied to a steam boiler, is the ratio of heat absorbed by the boiler in the generation of steam to the total amount of heat available in the medium utilized in securing such generation. When this medium is a solid fuel, such as coal, it is impossible to secure the complete combustion of the total amount fed to the boiler. A portion is bound tawdrop through the grates where it becomes mixed with the ash and, remaining unburned, produces no heat. Obviously, it is unfair to charge the boiler with the failure to absorb the portion of available heat in the fuel that is wasted in this way. On the other hand, the boiler user must pay for such waste and is justified in charging it against the combined boiler and furnace. Due to this fact, the efficiency of a boiler, as ordinarily stated, is in reality the combined efficiency of the boiler, furnace and grate, and the efficiency will be the same whether based on dry fuel or on fuel is fired, including its content of moisture. For example, if the coal contained 3% of moisture, the efficiency would beware 0. 97 cancels in the formula becomes 31. The heat supplied to the boiler is due to the combustible portion of fuel which is actually burned, irrespective of what proportion of the total combustible fired may be. 54. This fact has led to the use of a second efficiency basis on combustible and which is called the efficiency of boiler and furnace, 55. Namely, the efficiency so determined is used in comparing the relative performance of boilers, irrespective of the type of grates used under them. If the loss of fuel through the grates could be entirely overcome, the efficiencies obtained by 31 and 32 would obviously be the same. Hence, in the case of liquid and gaseous fuels, where there is practically no waste, these efficiencies are almost identical. As a matter of fact, it is extremely difficult, if not impossible, to determine the actual efficiency of a boiler alone, as distinguished from the combined deficiency of boiler, grate and furnace. This is due to the fact that the laissez due to excess air cannot be correctly attributed to either the boiler or the furnace, but only to a combination of the complete apparatus. Attempts have been made to devise methods for dividing the losses proportionately between the furnace and the boiler, but such attempts are unsatisfactory and it is impossible to determine the efficiency of a boiler apart from that of a furnace in such a way as to make such determination of any practical value or in a way that might not lead to endless dispute, were the question to arise in the case of a guaranteed efficiency. From the boiler manufacturer's standpoint, the only way of establishing an efficiency that has any value when guarantees are to be made is to require the grate or stoker manufacturer to make certain guarantees to minimum CO2, maximum Colorado, and that the amount of combustible in the ash and blown away with the flue gases does not exceed a certain percentage. With such a guarantee, the efficiency should be based on the combined furnace and boiler. General practice, however, has established the use of the efficiency-based Yupon combustible as representing the efficiency of the boiler alone. When such an efficiency is used, its exact meaning, as pointed out on opposite page, should be realized. 
the computation of the efficiencies described on opposite page is best illustrated by example. Assume the following data to be determined from an actual boiler trial. Steam pressure by gauge, 200 pounds. Feed temperature, 180 degrees. Total weight of coal fired, 17,500 pounds. Percentage of moisture in coal, 3%. Total ash and refuse, 2,396 pounds. Total water evaporated, 153,543 pounds. Percent of moisture in steam, 0.5%. Heat value per pound of dry coal, 13,516. Heat value per pound of combustible, 15,359. The factor of evaporation for such a set of conditions is 1.0834. The actual evaporation corrected for moisture in the steam is 152,775 and the equivalent evaporation from in at 212 degrees is, therefore, 165,516 pounds. The total dry fuel will be 17,500 times. 97 equals 16,975, and the evaporation per pound of dry fuel from and at 212 degrees will be 165,516 divided by 16,975 equals 9.75 pounds. The heat absorbed per pound of dry fuel will, therefore, be 9.75 times 970. 4 equals 9,461 BT. U. Hence, the efficiency by 31 will be 9,461 divided by 13,516 equals 70. 0%. The total combustible burned will be 16,975 minus 2,396 equals 14,579, and the evaporation from in at 212 degrees per pound of combustible will be 165,516 divided by 14,579 equals 11. 35 pounds. Hence, the efficiency based on combustible from 32 will be 11. 35 times 97. 04 divided by 15,359 equals 71. 71. For approximate results, a chart may be used to take the place of a computation of efficiency. Fig. 39 shows such a chart based on the evaporation per pound of dry fuel and the heat value per pound of dry fuel from which efficiencies may be read directly to within one half of 1%. It is used as follows. From the intersection of the horizontal line, representing the evaporation per pound of fuel, with the vertical line, representing the heat value per pound, the efficiency is read directly from the diagonal scale of efficiencies. This chart may also be used for efficiency based upon combustible when the evaporation from and at 212 degrees and the heat values are both given in terms of combustible. Diagonal lines represent percent efficiency boiler efficiencies will vary over a wide range, depending on a great variety of factors and conditions. The highest efficiencies that have been secured with coal are in the neighborhood of 82% and from that point efficiencies are found all the way down to below 50%. Table 59, 57, of tests of Babcock and Wilcox boilers under varying conditions of fuel and operation will give an IDEAOF what may be obtained with proper operating conditions. The difference between the efficiency secured in any boiler trial and the perfect efficiency, 100%, includes the losses, some of which are unavoidable in the present state of the art, arising in the conversion of the heat energy of the coal to the heat energy in the steam. These losses may be classified as follows. 1. Street. Loss due to fuel dropped through the grate. 2. Loss due to unburned fuel which is carried by the draft, as small particles, beyond the bridge wall into the setting or up the stack. 3. Road. Loss due to the utilization of a portion of the heat in heating the moisture contained in the fuel from the temperature of the atmosphere to 212 degrees, 
to evaporate it at that temperature and to superheat the steam thus ferment to the temperature of the flue gases. This steam, of course, is first heated to the temperature of the furnace but as it gives up a portion of this heat in passing through the boiler, the superheating to the temperature of the exit gases is the correct degree to be considered. Fourth, loss due to the water formed and by the burning of the hydrogen in the fuel which must be evaporated and superheated as in item 3. Fifth, loss due to the superheating of the moisture in the air supplied from the atmospheric temperature to the temperature of the flue gases. Sixth, loss due to the heating of the dry products of combustion to the temperature of the flue gases. Seventh, loss due to the incomplete combustion of the fuel when the carbon is not completely consumed but burns to CO instead of CO2. The CO passes out of the stack unburned as a volatile gas capable of further combustion. Eighth, loss due to radiation of heat from the boiler and furnace settings. Obviously a very elaborate test would have to be made were all of the above items to be determined accurately. In ordinary practice it has become customary to summarize these losses as follows. The methods of computing the losses being given in each instance by a typical example sad face. A. Loss due to the heating of moisture in the fuel from the atmospheric temperature to 212 degrees, evaporated at that temperature and superheated to the temperature of the flue gases. This in reality is the total heat above the temperature of the air in the boiler room, in one pound of superheated steam at atmospheric pressure at the temperature of the flue gases, multiplied by the percentage of moisture in the fuel. As the total heat above the temperature of the air would have to be computed in each instance, this loss is best expressed by b. Loss due to heat carried away in the steam produced by the burning of the hydrogen component of the fuel. In burning, one pound of hydrogen unites with eight pounds of oxygen to form nine pounds of steam. Following the reasoning of item a, therefore, this loss will be. This item is frequently considered as a part of the unaccounted for loss, where an ultimate analysis of the fuel is not given. C. Loss due to heat carried away by dry chimney gases. This is dependent upon the weight of gas per pound of coal which may be determined by formula, 16, page 158. Loss in Bt. U. Per pound equals, T, T, times, 24 times W. Where T and T have values as in, 33, N. 24 equals specific heat of chimney gases, NW equals weight of dry chimney gas per pound of coal. D. Loss due to incomplete combustion of the carbon content of the fuel, thatis, the burning of the carbon to CO instead of CO2. C equals percent of carbon in coal by ultimate analysis, NCO and CO2 equals percent OFCO and CO2 by volume from flue gas analysis, N10150 equals the number of heat units generated by burning to CO2 one pound of carbon contained in carbon monoxide. E. Loss due to unconsumed carbon in the ash, it being usually assumed that all the combustible in the ash is carbon. The loss incurred in this way is, directly, the carbon in the ash in percentage terms of the total dry coal-fired, multiplied by the heat value of carbon. To compute this item, which is of great importance in comparing the relative performances of different designs of grates, an analysis of the ash must be available. The other losses, namely, items 2, 5 and 8 of the first classification, are ordinarily grouped under one item, as unaccounted for losses, and are obviously the difference between 100% and the sum of the heat utilized and the losses accounted for as given above. Item 5, or the loss due to the moisture in the air, may be readily computed, the moisture being determined from wet and dry bulb thermometer readings, but it is usually disregarded as it is relatively small, averaging, say, one-fifth to one-half of one percent. Lack of data may, of course, make it necessary to include certain items of the second and ordinary classification in this unaccounted for group. A schedule of the losses is outlined, 
requires an evaporative test of the boiler, an analysis of the flue gases, an ultimate analysis of the fuel, and either an ultimate or proximate analysis of the ash. As the amount of unaccounted for losses forms a basis on which to judge the accuracy of a test, such a schedule is called a heat balance. The heat balance is best illustrated by an example. Assume the data as given in Table 57 to be secured in an actual boiler test. From this data the factor of evaporation is 1. 15.14 and the evaporation per hour from in at 212 degrees as 65,671 pounds. Hence the evaporation from in at 212 degrees per pound of dry coal as 65,671 divided by 5,609 equals 11.71 pounds. The efficiency of boiler, furnace and grate is sad face. C. To compute the loss in the heat carried away by dry chimney gases per pound of coal the weight of such gases must be first determined. This weight per pound of coal is where Colorado 2, O Colorado and H are the percentage by volume as determined by the flue gas analysis and C as the percentage by weight of carbon in the dry fuel. Hence the weight of gas per pound of coal will be therefore the loss of heat in the dry gases carried up the chimney equals D. The loss due to incomplete combustion as evidenced by the presence of CO in the flue gas analysis is sad face. E. The loss due to unconsumed carbon in the ash. The analysis of the ash showed 17.9% to be combustible matter, all of which is assumed to be carbon. The test showed 10.00 of the total dry fuel fired to be ash. Hence 10.00 times 179 equals 1. 79% of the total fuel represents the proportion of this total unconsumed in the ash and the loss due to this cause is the heat absorbed by the boilers per pound of dry fuel is 11. 71 times 970. 4 equals 11,363 b. t. u. This quantity plus losses, a, b, c, d, and e, or 11,363 plus 22 plus 618 plus 1,311 plus 61 plus 261 equals 13,636 BT. U. Accounted for. The heat value of the coal, 14,225 BT. U. Less 13,636 BT. U. Leaves 589 BT. U. UN accounted for losses, are 4. 15%. The heat balance should be arranged in the form indicated by Table 58. Application of heat balance. A heat balance should be made in connection with any boiler trial on which sufficient data for its computation has been obtained. This is particularly true where the boiler performance has been considered unsatisfactory. The distribution of the heat is thus determined and any extraordinary loss may be detected. Where accurate data for computing such a heat balance is not available, such a calculation based on certain assumptions is sometimes sufficient to indicate unusual losses. The largest loss is ordinarily due to the chimney gases, which depends directly upon the weight of the gas and its temperature leaving the boiler. As pointed out in the chapter on flue gas analysis, the lower limit of the weight of gas is fixed by the minimum air supplied with which complete combustion may be obtained. As shown, where this supply is unduly small, the loss caused by burning the carbon to CO instead of to CO2 more than offsets the gain in decreasing the weight of gas. The lower limit of the stack temperature, as has been shown in the chapter on draft, is more or less fixed by the temperature necessary to create sufficient draft suction for good combustion. With natural draft, this lower limit ice probably between 400 and 450 degrees. Capacity. Before the capacity of a boiler is considered, it is necessary to define the basis to which such a term may be referred. Such a basis is thesso called boiler horsepower. The unit of motive power in general use among steam engineers is the horsepower, which is equivalent to 33,000 foot-pounds per minute. 
stationary boilers are at the present time rated in horsepower, though such a basis of rating may lead and has often led to a misunderstanding. Work, as the term is used in mechanics, is the overcoming of resistance through space, while power is the rate of work or the amount done per unit of time. As the operation of a boiler in service implies no motion, it can produce no power in the sense of the term as understood in mechanics. Its operation is the generation of steam, which acts as a medium to convey the energy of the fuel which is in the form of heat a prime mover in which that heat energy is converted into energy of motion or work, and power is developed. If all engines developed the same amount of power from an equal amount of heat, a boiler might be designated as one having a definite horsepower, dependent upon the amount of engine horsepower its steam would develop. Such a statement of the rating of boilers, though it would still be inaccurate, if the term is considered in its mechanical sense, could, through custom, be interpreted to indicate that a boiler was of the exact capacity required to generate the steam necessary to develop a definite amount of horsepower in an engine. Such a basis of rating, however, is obviously impossible when the fact is considered that the amount of steam necessary to produce the same power in prime movers of different types and sizes varies over very wide limits. To do away with the confusion resulting from an indefinite meaning of the term boiler horsepower, the committee of judges in charge of the boiler trials at the Centennial Exposition, 1876, at Philadelphia, ascertained that a good engine of the type prevailing at the time required approximately 30 pounds of steam per hour per horsepower developed. In order to establish a relation between the engine power and the size of a boiler required to develop that power, they recommended that an evaporation of 30 pounds of water from an initial temperature of 100 degrees Fahrenheit to steam at 70 pounds gauge pressure be consigned read as one boiler horsepower. This recommendation has been generally accepted by American engineers as a standard, and when the term boiler horsepower is used in connection with stationary boilers, 58, throughout this country, 59, without special definition, it is understood to have this meaning. Inasmuch as an equivalent evaporation from and at 212 degrees Fahrenheit is the generally accepted basis of comparison, 60, it is now customary to consider the standard boiler horsepower as recommended by the Centennial Exposition Committee, in terms of equivalent evaporation from and at 212 degrees. This will be 30 pounds multiplied by the factor of evaporation for 70 pounds gauge pressure and 100 degrees feed temperature, or 1. 1494. 30 times 1. 1494 equals 34. 482, or approximately 34. 5 pounds. Hence, one boiler horsepower is equal to an evaporation of 34. 5 pounds of water per hour from and at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. The term boiler horsepower, therefore, is clearly a measure of evaporation and not of power. A method of basing the horsepower rating of a boiler adopted by boiler manufacturers is that of heating surfaces. Such a method is absolutely arbitrary and changes in no way the definition of a boiler horsepower just given. It is simply a statement by the manufacturer that his product, under ordinary operating conditions or conditions which may be specified, will evaporate 34. 5 pounds of water from in at 212 degrees per definite amount of heating surface provided. The amount of heating surface that has been considered by manufacturers capable of evaporating 34. 5 pounds from in at 212 degrees per hour has changed from time to time as the art has progressed. At the present time 10 square feet of heating surface is ordinarily considered the equivalent of one boiler horsepower among manufacturers of stationary boilers. In view of the arbitrary nature of such rating and of the widely varying rates of evaporation possible per square foot of heating surface with different boilers and different operating conditions, such a basis of rating has in reality no particular bearing on the question of horsepower and should be considered merely as a convenience.
The whole question of a unit of boiler capacity has been widely discussed with a view to the adoption of a standard to which there would appear to be a more rational and definite basis. Many suggestions have been offered as to such a basis but up to the present time there has been none which has met with universal approval or which would appear likely to be generally adopted. With the meaning of boiler horsepower as given above, that is, a measure of evaporation, it is evident that the capacity of a boiler is a measure of the power it can develop expressed in boiler horsepower. Since it is necessary, as stated, for boiler manufacturers to adopt a standard for reasons of convenience in selling, the horsepower for which a boiler is sold is known as its normal rated capacity. The efficiency of a boiler and the maximum capacity it will develop can be determined accurately only by a boiler test. The standard methods of conducting such tests are given on the following pages, these methods being the recommendations of the Power Test Committee of the American Society of Mechanical Engineers brought out in 1913. 61. Certain changes have been made to incorporate in the boiler code such portions of the instructions regarding tests in general, as apply to boiler testing. Methods of calculation and such matter as are treated in other portions of the book have been omitted from the code as noted. 1. Object ascertain the specific object of the test, and keep this in view not only in the work of preparation, but also during the progress of the test, and do not let it be obscured by devoting too close attention to matters of minor importance. Whatever the object of the test may be, accuracy and reliability must underlie the work from beginning to end. If questions of fulfillment of contract are involved, there should be a clear understanding between all the parties, preferably in writing, as to the operating conditions which should obtain during the trial, and as to the methods of testing to be followed, unless these are already expressed in the contract itself. Among the many objects of performance tests, the following may be noted, determination of capacity and efficiency, and how these compare with standard or guaranteed results. Comparison of different conditions or methods of operation. Determination of the cause of either inferior or superior results. Comparison of different kinds of fuel. Determination of the effect of changes of design or proportion upon capacity or efficiency, etc. 2. Preparations. A. Dimensions. Measure the dimensions of the principal parts of the apparatus to be tested, so far as they bear on the objects in view, or determine these from correct working drawings. Notice the general features of the same, both exterior and interior, and make sketches, if needed, to show unusual points of design. The dimensions of the heating surfaces of boilers and superheaters to be found are those of surfaces in contact with the fire or hot gases. The submerged surfaces in boilers at the mean water level should be considered as water heating surfaces, and other surfaces which are exposed to the gases as superheating surfaces. b. Examination of plant. Make a thorough examination of the physical condition of all parts of the planter apparatus which concern the object in view, and record the conditions found, together with any points in the matter of operation which bear thereon. In boilers, examine for leakage of tubes and riveted or other metal joints. Note the condition of brick furnaces, grates and baffles. Examine brick walls and cleaning doors for air leaks, either by shutting the damper and observing the escaping smoke or by candle flame test. Determine the condition of heating surfaces with reference to exterior deposits of soot and interior deposits of mud or scale. See that the steam main is so arranged that condensed and entrained water cannot flow back into the boiler. If the object of the test is to determine the highest efficiency or capacity obtainable, any physical defects, or defects of operation, tending to make the result unfavorable should first be remedied, all foul parts being cleaned, and the whole put in first-class condition. If, on the other hand, the object is to certain the performance under existing conditions, no such preparation is either required or desired. c. General precautions against leakage. In steam tests make sure that there is no leakage through blow-offs, drips, etc. 
or any steam or water connections of the plant or apparatus undergoing test, which would in any way affect the results. All such connections should be blanked off, or satisfactory assurance should be obtained that there is leakage neither out nor in. This is a most important matter, and no assurance should be consigned read satisfactory unless it is susceptible of absolute demonstration. 3. Fuel determine the character of fuel to be used. 62. For tests of maximum efficiency or capacity of the boiler to compare with other boilers, the coal should be of some kind which is commercially regarded as a standard for the locality where the test is made. In the eastern states the standards thus regarded for semi-bituminous coals are Pocahontas, VA, and WVA, and New River, WVA. For anthracite coals those of the number one buckwheat size, fresh mined, containing not over 13% ash by analysis, and for bituminous coals, Yakagani and Pittsburgh coals. In some sections east of the Allegheny Mountains the semi-bituminous clearfield, PA, and Cumberland, MD, are also considered as standards. These coals when of good quality possess the essentials of excellence, adaptability to various kinds of furnaces, grates, boilers, and methods of firing required, besides being widely distributed and generally accessible in the eastern market. There are no special grades of coal mined in the western states which are widely and generally considered as standards for testing purposes, the best coal obtainable in any particular locality being regarded as the standard of comparison. A coal selected for maximum efficiency and capacity tests should be the best OFITS class, and especially free from slagging and unusual clinker forming impurities. For guarantee and other tests with a specified coal containing not more than a certain amount of ash in moisture, the coal selected should not be higher in ash and in moisture than the stated amounts, because any increase is liable to reduce the efficiency and capacity more than the equivalent proportion of such increase. The size of the coal, especially where it is of the anthracite class, should be determined by screening a suitable sample. 4. Apparatus and instruments, 63. The apparatus and instruments required for boiler tests are a. Platform scales for weighing coal and ashes. b. Graduated scales attached to the water glasses. c. Tanks and platform scales for weighing water, are water meters calibrated in place. Wherever practicable the feed water should be weighed, especially for guaranteed tests. The most satisfactory and reliable apparatus for this purpose consists of one or more tanks each placed on platform scales, these being elevated a sufficient distance above the floor to empty into a receiving tank placed below the latter being connected to the feed pump. Where only one weighing tank is used the receiving tank should be of larger size than the weighing tank, to afford sufficient reserve supply to the pump while the upper tank is filling. If a single weighing tank is used it should preferably be of such capacity as to require emptying not oftener than every five minutes. If two or more are used the intervals between successive emptyings should not be less than three minutes. d. Pressure gauges, thermometers, and draft gauges. e calorimeters for determining the calorific value of fuel and the quality of steam. F. Furnaces pyrometers. G. Gas analyzing apparatus. 5. Operating conditions determine what the operating conditions and method of firing should be to conform to the object in view, and see that they prevail throughout the trial, as nearly as possible. Where uniformity in the rate of evaporation is required, arrangement can be usually made to dispose of the steam so that this result can be attained. In a single boiler it may be accomplished by discharging steam through a waste pipe and regulating the amount by means of a valve. In a battery of boilers, in which only one is tested, the draft may be regulated on the remaining boilers to meet the varying demands for steam, leaving the test boiler to work under a steady rate of evaporation. 6. Duration The duration of tests to determine the efficiency of a hand-fired boiler should be 10 hours of continuous running, 
or such time as may be required to burn a total of 250 pounds of coal per square foot of grate. In the case of a boiler using a mechanical stoker, the duration, where practicable, should be at least 24 hours. If the stoker is of a type that permits the quantity and condition of the fuel bed at beginning and end of the test to be accurately estimated, the duration may be reduced to 10 hours, or such time as may be required to burn the above noted total of 250 pounds per square foot. In commercial tests where the service requires continuous operation night and day, with frequent shifts of firemen, the duration of the test, whether the boilers are hand-fired or stoker-fired, should be at least 24 hours. Likewise in commercial tests, either of a single boiler or of a plant of several boilers, which operate regularly a certain number of hours and during the balance of the day the fires are banked, the duration should not be less than 24 hours. The duration of tests to determine the maximum evaporative capacity of a boiler, without determining the efficiency, should not be less than 3 hours. 7. Starting and stopping the conditions regarding the temperature of the furnace and boiler, the quantity and quality of the live coal and ash on the grates, the water level, and the steam pressure, should be as nearly as possible the same at the end as at the beginning of the test. To secure the desired equality of conditions with hand-fired boilers, the following method should be employed. The furnace being well heated by a preliminary run, burn the fire low, and thoroughly clean it, leaving enough live coal spread evenly over the grate, say 2 to 4 inches, 64, to serve as a foundation for the new fire. Note quickly the thickness of the coal bed as nearly as it can be estimated or measured, also the water level, 65, the steam pressure, and the time, and record the latter as the starting time. Fresh coal should then be fired from that weighed for the test, the ash pit thoroughly cleaned, and the regular work of the test proceeded with. Before the end of the test the fire should again be burned low and cleaned in such a manner as to leave the same amount of live coal on the grate as at the start. When this condition is reached, observe quickly the water level, 65, the steam pressure, and the time, and record the latter as the stopping time. If the water level is not the same as at the beginning a correction should be made by computation, rather than by feeding additional water after the final readings are taken. Finally remove the ashes and refuse from the ash pit. In a plant containing several boilers where it is not practicable to clean them simultaneously, the fire should be cleaned one after the other as rapidly as may be, and each one after cleaning charged with enough coal to maintain a thin fire in good working condition. After the last fire is cleaned and in working condition, burn all the fires low, say 4 to 6 inches, note quickly the thickness of each, also the water levels, steam pressure, and time, which last is taken as the starting time. Likewise when the time arrives for closing the test, the fires should be quickly cleaned one by one, and when this work is completed they should all be burned low the same as the start, and the various observations made as noted. In the case of a large boiler having several furnace doors requiring the fire to be cleaned in sections one after the other, the above directions pertaining to starting and stopping in a plant of several boilers may be followed. To obtain the desired equality of conditions of the fire when a mechanical stoker other than a chain grate is used, the procedure should be modified where practicable as follows. Regulate the coal feed so as to burn the fire to the low condition required for cleaning. Shut off the coal feeding mechanism and fill the hopper's level full. Clean the ash or dump plate. Note quickly the depth and condition of the coal on the grate, the water level, 66, the steam pressure, and the time, and record the latter as the starting time. Then start the coal feeding mechanism, clean the ash pit, and proceed with the regular work of the test. When the time arrives for the close of the test, shut off the coal feeding mechanism, fill the hoppers and burn the fire to the same low point as at the beginning. When this condition is reached, note the water level, the steam pressure, and the time, and record the latter as the stopping time. Finally clean the ash plate and haul the ashes.
In the case of chain grate stokers, the desired operating condition should be maintained for half an hour before starting a test and for a like period before its close, the height of the throat plate and the speed of the grate being the same during both of these periods. 8. Records a log of the data should be entered in notebooks or on blank sheets suitably prepared in advance. This should be done in such manner that the test may be divided into hourly periods, or if necessary, periods of less duration, and the leading data obtained for any one or more periods as desired, thereby showing the degree of uniformity obtained. Half-hourly readings of the instruments are usually sufficient. If there are resudden and wide fluctuations, the readings in such cases should be taken every 15 minutes, and in some instances oftener. The coal should be weighed and delivered to the fireman in portions sufficient for one hour's run, thereby ascertaining the degree of uniformity of firing. An ample supply of coal should be maintained at all times, but the quantity on the floor at the end of each hour should be as small as practicable, so that the same may be readily estimated and deducted from the total weight. The record should be such as to ascertain also the consumption of feed weight reach hour and thereby determine the degree of uniformity of evaporation. 9. Quality of steam, 67. If the boiler does not produce superheated steam the percentage of moisture in the steam should be determined by the use of a throttling or separating calorimeter. If the boiler has superheating surface, the temperature of the steam should be determined by the use of a thermometer inserted in a thermometer well. For saturated steam construct a sampling pipe or nozzle made of one half inch on pipe and insert it in the steam main at a point where the entrained moisture is likely to be most thoroughly mixed. The inner end of the pipe, which should extend nearly across to the opposite side of the main, should be closed and interior portion perforated with not less than 21 eighth inch holsequally distributed from end to end and preferably drilled in a regular or spiral rows, with the first hole not less than half an inch from the wall of the pipe. The sampling pipe should not be placed near a point where water may pocket or where such water may affect the amount of moisture contained in the sample. Where non-return valves are used, or there are horizontal connections leading from the boiler to a vertical outlet, water may collect at the lower end of the uptake pipe and be blown upward in a spray which will not be carried away by the steam owing to a lack of velocity. A sample taken from the lower part of this pipe will show a greater amount of moisture than a true sample. With goose neck connections a small amount of water may collect on the bottom of the pipe near the upper end where the inclination is such that the tendency to flow backward is ordinarily counterbalanced by the flow of steam forward over its surface, but when the velocity momentarily decreases the water flows back to the lower end of the goose neck and increases the moisture at that point, making it an undesirable location for sampling. In any case it must be borne in mind that with low velocities the tendency is for drops of entrained water to settle to the bottom of the pipe, and to be temporarily broken up into spray whenever an abrupt bend or other disturbance is met. If it is necessary to attach the sampling nozzle at a point near the end of a long horizontal run, a drip pipe should be provided a short distance in front of the nozzle, preferably at a pocket formed by some fitting and the water running along the bottom of the main drawn off, weighed, and added to the moisture shown be the calorimeter, or, better, a steam separator should be installed at the point noted. In testing a stationary boiler the sampling pipe should be located as near as practicable to the boiler, and the same is true as regards the thermometer well when the steam is superheated. In an engine or turbine test these locations should be as near as practicable to throttle valve. In the test of a plant where it is desired to get complete information, especially where the steam main ice unusually long, sampling nozzles or thermometer wells should be provided at both points, so as to obtain data at either point as may be required. 10. Sampling and drying coal during the progress of test The coal should be regularly sampled for the purpose of analysis and determination of moisture. Backslash dot. Select a representative shovelful from each barrel load as it is drawn from the coal pile or other source of supply, 
and store the samples in a cool place in a covered metal receptacle. When all the coal has thus been sampled, break up the lumps, thoroughly mix the whole quantity, and finally reduce it by the process of repeated quartering and crushing to a sample weighing about 5 pounds, the largest pieces being about the size of a pea. From this sample two one-quart airtight glass fruit jars, or other airtight vessels, are to be promptly filled and preserved for subsequent determinations of moisture, calorific value, and chemical composition. These operations should be conducted where the air is cool and free from drafts. When the sample lot of coal has been reduced by quartering to, say, 100 pounds, a portion weighing, say, 15 to 20 pounds should be withdrawn for the purpose of immediate moisture determination. This is placed in a shallow iron pan and dried in the hot iron boiler flue for at least 12 hours, being weighed before and after drying on scales reading to quarter ounces. The moisture thus determined is approximately reliable for anthracite and semi-bituminous coals, but not for coals containing much inherent moisture. For such coals, and for all absolutely reliable determinations the method to be pursued is as follows. Take one of the samples contained in the glass jars, and subject it to athero air drying, by spreading it in a thin layer and exposing it for several hours to the atmosphere of a warm room, weighing it before and after, thereby determining the quantity of surface moisture it contains. 68. Then crush the whole of it by running it through an ordinary coffee mill or other suitable crusher adjusted so as to produce somewhat coarse grains, less than 1 16th inch, thoroughly mix the crushed sample. Select from it a portion of from 10 to 50 grams, 69. Weigh it in a balance which will easily show a variation as small as one part in 1,000, and dry it for one hour in an air or sand bath at a temperature between 240 and 280 degrees Fahrenheit. Weigh it and record the loss, then heat and weigh again until the minimum weight has been reached. The difference between the original and the minimum weight is the moisture in the air-dried coal. The sum of the moisture thus found and that of the surface moisture is the total moisture. 11. Ashes and refuse the ashes and refuse withdrawn from the furnace and ash pit during the progress of the test and at its close should be weighed so far as possible in a dry state. If wet the amount of moisture should be ascertained and allowed for, a sample being taken and dried for this purpose. This sample may serve also for analysis in the determination of unburned carbon and fusing temperature. The method above described for sampling coal may also be followed for obtaining a sample of the ashes and refuse. 12. Calorific tests and analyses of coal The quality of the fuel should be determined by calorific tests and analysis of the coal sample above referred to. 70. 13. Analyses of flue gases for approximate determinations of the composition of the flue gases, the orsitopparatus, or some modification thereof, should be employed. If momentary samples are obtained the analyses should be made as frequently as possible, say, every 15 to 30 minutes, depending on the skill of the operator, noting at the time the sample is drawn the furnace and firing conditions. If the sample drawn is a continuous one, the intervals may be made longer. 14. Smoke observations, 71. In tests of bituminous coals requiring a determination of the amount of smoke produced, observations should be made regularly throughout the trial at intervals of 5 minutes, or if necessary every minute, noting at the same time the furnace and firing conditions. 15. Calculation of results The methods to be followed in expressing and calculating those results which are not self-evident are explained as follows sad face. A. Efficiency. The efficiency of boiler, furnace and grate is the relation between the heat absorbed per pound of coal-fired and the calorific value of phone pound of coal. The efficiency of boiler and furnace is the relation between the heat absorbed per pound of combustible burned and the calorific value of one pound of combustible. This expression of efficiency furnishes a means for comparing one boiler and furnace with another when the losses of unburned coal due to grates, cleanings, etc. 
are eliminated. The combustible burned, as determined by subtracting from the weight of coal supplied to the boiler, the moisture in the coal, the weight of ash and unburned coal withdrawn from the furnace and ash pit, and the weight of dust, soot, Andre fuse, if any, withdrawn from the tubes, flues, and combustion chambers, including ash carried away in the gases, if any, determined from the analysis of coal and ash. The combustible, used for determining the calorific value is the weight of coal less the moisture and ash found by analysis. The heat absorbed per pound of coal are combustible, as calculated by multiplying the equivalent evaporation from and at 212 degrees per pound of coal are combustible by 970. 4. Other items in this section which have been treated elsewhere are sad face. B. Corrections for moisture in steam. C. Correction for live steam used. D. Equivalent evaporation. E. Heat balance. F. Total heat of combustion of coal. G. Air for combustion and the methods recommended for calculating these results are A in accordance with those described in different portions of this book. 16. Data and results The data and results should be reported in accordance with either the short form or the complete form, adding lines for data not provided for, or omitting those not required, as may conform to the object in view. 17. Chart and trials having for an object the determination and exposition of the complete boiler performance, the entire log of readings and data should be plotted on a chart and represented graphically. 18. Tests with oil and gas fuels Tests of boilers using oil or gas for fuel should accord with the rules here given, excepting as they are varied to conform to the particular characteristics of the fuel. The duration in such cases may be reduced, and the flying method of starting and stopping employed. The table of data and results should contain items stating character of furnace and burner, quality and composition of oil or gas, temperature of oil, pressure of steam used for vaporizing and quantity of steam used for both vaporizing and for heating. About Hacker Noon book series, we bring you the most important technical, scientific, and insightful public domain books. This book is part of the public domain. Babcock and Wilcox Company, 2007. Steam, Its Generation and Use. Urbana, Illinois. Project Gutenberg. R-E-T-R-I-E-V-E-D-H-T-T-P-S colon slash slash www. Gutenberg. Org. Cash. EPUB. 22657. PG 22657 Images. HTML This ebook is for the use of anyone anywhere at no cost and with almost no restrictions whatsoever. You may copy it, give it away or reuse it under the terms of the Project Gutenberg license included with this ebook or online at www.gutenberg.org. Located at https colon slash slash www.gutenberg.org. Policy. License. HTML. Thank you for listening to this Hackernoon story, read by Artificial Intelligence. Visit hackernoon.com to read, write, learn and publish.